Welcome to the Powerhouse Revolution podcast. I'm Lucy Gernon, ex-corporate leader turned CEO of my dream business, helping corporate female leaders just like you to create your dream career and life. At 40, I quit the corporate world as I was tired of doing a job that no longer lit me up and wanted to live my life my way. I created the Powerhouse Revolution podcast to give you simple, actionable tips and strategies to help you create the perfect career and lifestyle that you and your family deserve. So if you're a corporate female leader or manager who is ready to step into her superpowers and live the life you were born to live, you are definitely in the right place because life is way too short to dread Mondays. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. Hi there and welcome back to this week's episode of the Powerhouse Revolution podcast. Happy Christmas and a very, very happy new year to you too. I hope you are enjoying some time with your family and friends and you're eating all the chocolate. I hope Santa was good to you and you got some nice gifts and that you're having a really, really nice time. So at this time of year, I'm always reflecting on the year that's just gone before and I'm planning for next year. And I just cannot believe how much my life has changed in 2022 because it was Christmas time last year when I actually left my corporate career to focus on my business full time. So I had the business for over a year before as a side hustle. I had built it up. I had made loads of mistakes. I had pushed myself beyond belief out of my comfort zone doing things I never thought possible. And now my life is totally different today. I have a thriving business that I love. I get to support amazing women in leadership just like you. And I just feel so, so grateful. So I encourage you before, you know, last week we were talking all about goal setting. I want you just to reflect on your year in 2022 and look at all your achievements, big and small. What did you overcome mentally this year? What did you overcome personally this year? What can you be proud of if you gave yourself permission? Because it's all there. So just don't forget to pause and to really celebrate your success because that will raise your vibrational energy and you'll attract more good things into your life. Scientifically proven. So on this week's episode, we are going to be sharing some of the 2022 best bits. We're going to be talking about setting boundaries. We are going to be talking about creative visualization. We're talking about strategies for success and so, so much more. So this is an episode I would love, 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 love if you could share with your colleagues because it is a complete, I suppose, synopsis of our year together on the Powerhouse Revolution podcast. So I would love for you to send this on to three women in leadership in your network that you know would absolutely love this podcast because I rely on you to help me to get the word out there and I will be so, so grateful and you'd be giving your colleagues a gift. So I hope you enjoy the best bits and that's it. Have a very, very happy new year and I'll talk to you again in 2023. Enjoy. If you don't set your personal boundaries and if you don't communicate what is and isn't acceptable to you, how do you expect others to know? They are not mind readers. Now, you may be thinking that when it comes to your job or your industry, time boundaries like I've just described won't work. But I promise you, not only will they work, but they will make you more valuable to your organisation 
Why? Because you'll be focused on the right stuff. You'll be more productive. You'll be more strategic. You'll be less reactive and more proactive. You'll be calmer. You'll be more in control. And ultimately, you and your team and those who work with you will be happier. Sound good? Okay. Next, let's talk about how you can actually do this, how to set your boundaries. So I'm going to give you a three-step method that I created to help you to do this. And I've designed a worksheet to accompany this episode to guide you through step by step. It is pretty comprehensive. I'm feeling really generous again today. Um, and you can find it at the show notes at lucygarnan.com forward slash zero zero two. So I call my method the DAD method, D-A-D, and it has three steps. Define, apply, defend. And I'll take you through the steps right now. Number one, define your personal rules and boundaries. I want you to be proactive and take a pen and piece of paper within 24 hours of listening to this episode and write them out. I've designed the workbook, like I said, to accompany this episode to guide you and you can grab it in the show notes at lucygarnan.com forward slash zero zero two. Step two, apply your personal rules. You've got to put them into action. And step three, defend your personal rules. Imagine you're like Princess Khaleesi in Game of Thrones defending her kingdom. God, I love that show. And I, you know, I really thought it wasn't my thing originally. If you haven't watched Game of Thrones, just imagine a beautiful princess defending her kingdom with fire-breathing dragons. Defend at all costs. We all have this inner critic and it's different for all of us. And this is the term that's sometimes used to describe the unwanted voices inside your head that stop you from moving forward. And you know your inner critic has shown up because you feel inadequate in some way and you feel really badly about yourself. And this is exactly where your self-doubt is stemming from. But just know that these voices were created to protect you as a survival or coping mechanism from childhood, usually. Now, there is a way that you can stop these negative voices, these voices that are stopping you from becoming who you were born to be, from from going for that promotion or for saying what you want to say or for being assertive to take control of your work-life balance. You can take control of this, but it does take time and work and repetition, but you can do it. In fact, a lot of the work I focus on with my one-to-one clients is this mindset work because it just takes time and you need tools and you need to understand your own mind. But I promise you, if you can master your mind, you can master anything. I actually once had a client who wanted to go for a promotion. And although she had over 20 years experience and she had been headhunted for the role and she knew, you know, she had belief in her own ability, she just didn't feel confident about taking the actual role. If that was a man, he would have jumped head first. So cue imposter syndrome. This imposter syndrome is just so prevalent in women. With my client, she knew she had big shoes to fill and she was using her energy, doubting herself instead of channeling that energy into focusing on why she was hired in the first place. So we worked through all of this as part of the my program Powerhouse Revolution and I helped her to break through and shine and she absolutely did. I'm smiling here thinking about her. 
like it's so funny because when you look at your your colleagues or even if you know you look at a, a leader that you um recognize or you admire you're going to see so much positivity about that person you're going to think she's a powerhouse you're going to think wow look what she does and I can guarantee you most women just don't feel comfortable putting themselves out there even the ones who are are feeling usually a little bit uncomfortable about it so mindset work takes time consistency dedication and repetition and like I said once you have the right tools and the right support I promise you you can kick negative self-talk for good so today I'm going to give you a, a little head start on how you can begin to stop these negative voices so the number one thing you can do which sounds simple and it's always the simple things that are the most powerful it's just awareness I want you to imagine yourself when those voices start in your head telling you you're not good enough or you're not worthy or people think this about you and if I say this they'll think this about me. I want you to just become an observer of your thoughts. So literally you know disconnect from your body and your mind and just kind of imagine there's another you floating watching you and do this playfully with curiosity. Become aware that you are not your thoughts. You are not your thoughts. You are completely separate from your thoughts. Your thoughts are just taking over your mind. And as you get to know your gremlins or your inner critic, and the more aware you become, you will learn to live easier with them. They never really go away, but you can learn to manage them. Okay, and everyone has them. I really linked my self-worth to my perfect achievements and I rarely saw the progress if I wasn't making, you know, if I was making, if I wasn't hitting those big goals. And I still have to really watch it, by the way, in my own business. I have to be aware that this perfectionist tendency is within me. But now I consciously allow myself to make mistakes. So sometimes I'll put up a social media post and there'll be a typo. And do you know what? I leave it. And some people may think that's unprofessional, but for me, it actually signifies so much more. It's that if there's a tiny, teeny, tiny spelling mistake, it doesn't mean that you have to take it down and redo all the work that you've already done, right? If it's already out there in the world, nothing is going to happen if you've got the occasional spelling mistake. Now, I pride myself on excellence and professionalism, so it's really you know rare that I would do that. But I'm just giving that as an example that sometimes you've got to allow yourself to make mistakes and be okay with things not being perfect. Perfectionists actually achieve less than those with healthier attitudes because their focus on perfectionism robs them of motivation and can, you know, bring on procrastination and other self-sabotaging behaviors. Okay, so it's not a good thing. You're not actually being as productive as you think. And actually there was some, there was a, I can't remember what study it was, But there was um, a load of CEOs interviewed. And I think it was something like 80% of them would rather that they didn't have perfectionists working for them. Because perfectionists are not as productive, right? So it's all about adding value when you're in business. So you might be wondering now, hmm, some of this is resonating. Am I a perfectionist? Am I not? So I'm going to give you five signs that you're a perfectionist. So if you're multitasking, come back to me and listen. So the first one is you are highly critical of yourself and others. Perfectionists feel anxious a lot of the time and they're more critical of themselves and others than high achievers. High achievers take pride in their accomplishment and tend to be more supportive of others, whereas perfectionists tend to spot mistakes and imperfections. And that's not really good for building relationships, right? 
They hone in on, on imperfections and have trouble seeing anything else. And they're far more judgmental and hard on themselves when a failure does occur. So for you, does that sound like you? Are you hard on yourself? Do you have high levels and high standards for your team and others around you? And just reflect, like, how does that affect your relationships? The second sign you're a perfectionist is you feel pushed by fear. So the difference between a high achiever and a perfectionist is high achievers tend to be pulled towards their goals by a desire to achieve them. They're happy with any steps made in the right direction, so moving forward. Whereas perfectionists, on the other hand, tend to feel pushed towards their goal. They're being pushed by fear of not reaching them. And they see anything less than a perfectly met goal as a failure. Which is really sad, right? And that's exactly how I used to be. But I promise you, it doesn't have to be that way. The third sign you're a perfectionist is having unrealistic standards or expectations. So unfortunately, a perfectionist's goals aren't always reasonable. High achievers can set their goals high and perhaps enjoying the fun of going a little further once goals are reached. Whereas perfectionists often set their initial goals out of reach. So for example, you might have a project that really should take three months and you decide, no, I'm going to get it done by next week. And you put yourself under all this pressure to deliver and then you don't. And then you feel like a failure. So you're setting yourself up for failure. Okay. The fourth sign you're a perfectionist is only focusing on results. So high achievers can enjoy the process of chasing a goal. And that's where I'm at right now. I love my business. It's such fun, like setting goals and seeing what happens. And, you know, if you're a high achiever, you may enjoy the whole process more than actually reaching the goal itself. However, in contrast, perfectionists see the goal and nothing else. They're so concerned about meeting the goal and avoiding the dreaded failure that they think that's going to happen. That they just can't enjoy the process of growing and striving. And then they can feel really depressed and down by unmet goals. And then the fifth sign you're a perfectionist is procrastination. Now this might actually be counter or counterintuitive, but it, it can be very true of some perfectionists. Perfectionists worry so much about doing something imperfectly that sometimes they won't do anything at all. So for example, if you're a perfectionist and you're asked to take on a new task and work that stretches you or puts you out of your comfort zone, you may put it on the long finger or just try to get rid of it. Try delegate it. And the fear of failure is real as it really manifests in your body as that fight and flight. So it's, it's a real feeling, right? This is, it's not an easy thing to be a perfectionist. Believe me, I've been there. And you may be disappointed by anything less than perfection and failure becomes a very, very scary prospect. So do you see yourself in any of those five things? Are you a perfectionist? So if you are a perfectionist, I have a personal message for you. So if you're multitasking, please, please listen to me. Okay, I've been where you are. Okay, and I want you to know there is no such thing as perfect. Sometimes in the corporate space, it's it's about achieving, right? And it's about getting to the next level and it's about demonstrating competency and it's about, I'm going to show them. Mm. And, you know, a lot of us link our, our sense of self and our sense of self-worth to our achievements, which 
it can be a good thing, but it can also be pretty detrimental at times when things don't go your way. So talk to me a little bit about what you would advise to people who feel like that they're on the hamster wheel, that they're working all year to get to that outperform category and they're burning themselves out. What advice would you give them? I just want to pause this episode for a second to tell you about something super exciting that I'm hosting on the 22nd of May and it's absolutely free. It's my brand new imposter syndrome breakthrough masterclass. I cannot wait because in this one hour masterclass, I'm going to show you how you can make the ultimate shift from struggling to execute with confidence and feeling not good enough and confused as to how you can make changes to exploding your personal confidence in your leadership role and eliminating imposter syndrome for good so you can make the impact you want to make while maintaining balance and having a lot more fun too. Trust me, this is going to be so worth an hour of your time. Head over to lucygarden.com forward slash masterclass right now to save your seat. I think first and foremost, it's so important that we're true to ourselves. I, I completely get the, you know, striving to achieve. Um, you know, I'm, I know I'm a, I'm an achiever and I can take it to the extreme of being a hyperachiever and the pressure that comes um, and how much that can be, you know, not can be, was for me connected to exactly the story I said, because it was like, you know, I've got to prove. Um, and I think for particularly for a lot of women in, in the world of work, we have to sometimes work twice as hard to prove mm. you know, that we're, we're good enough. Um, but also that imposter syndrome is kind of, which I was saying for me, was underneath, which was like, oh, hold on. Somebody, somebody's going to find out soon enough. You were just lucky to get here. Um, um, I think the biggest piece of advice I can give is, you know, is to be true to yourself is that vulnerability is our strength. It's not our weakness. And as a leader, manager, and in my own experience of leading and managing, and in managing groups now, that my willingness to be honest, Mm. to be real, enables other people and and gives them, liberates them to be honest and real as well. And actually, I think sometimes we think, oh, it's, 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 I I look incompetent. I look like I can't, you know, I can't do this. But actually, it, it demonstrates your leadership that you're yeah. willing to not know. You're willing to say, I don't know. What do you think? You know, how do how do we go about this? Um, and the other is, and for me has been the most important thing when I've been leading, managing, working in stressful environments is compassion. Is compassion for myself. Mm. Is holding that compassion. Is being gentle with myself, being kind to myself. You know, being able to say to myself, you did a good enough, a good enough job, because I think there is that perfectionism that can come in with the, the hyperachieving as well. And that I, I've done a good enough job um, and I can't be perfect in every sphere of my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that for for me, and I can say it, you know, having worked, you know, through through life, you know, had kids, lots of challenges coming in through that in different ways. Um, that I was close to burnout, you know, on the hamster wheel. Um, all the women I have coached, um, women working in corporate world, I see how hard 
fact we are in ourselves. Yeah. How hard. And um, and that is my my wish for everyone, not just women, but because it applies to all of us as human beings, is that we can be more compassionate with ourselves and more compassionate with others as well. Mm-hmm. We're quick to judge ourselves and we're quick to judge others. Mm-hmm. So that they would be the big learnings I have had on my journey. Mm. And um, how how might you suggest that, you know, if somebody right now is is on that hamster wheel and they want, they're now listening and they're going, do you know what? I really would love to be more compassionate with myself, but I don't know how. What advice would you give them? One piece of advice I would give is get a childhood photograph of yourself below the age of 11. I have mine here. Hold on a sec. <laughs> So this is my childhood photo of me. So I have this on my desk. I have it actually just over to the right, which is why I had to get up. Um, And I have that on my table so that every time during the day, I find myself going to a place of beating myself up, giving myself a hard time. I look at her and I say, would you beat her up? Would you give her a hard time? And I look at her and I look at her and I go, no, I'm going to just love her. She's bloody amazing Mm -hmm. I mean you know she's just incredible why would I do that to her and so that that is the first thing and the second thing is is to step back and to just to acknowledge what are you grateful for today I mean what is going really well in your day and what is it that you've done really well and what is it that you're really happy about and 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 you know I sometimes encourage clients to write letters to themselves, you know, in terms of, you know, being able to tell themselves how amazing they are and how great they are Um, and do something nice for yourself. Mm. You know, go get your hair done, you know, go, go be kind. Again, I know these are things I've had to learn to do. I wasn't so good at them. Um, And, um, yeah, they would be a, a couple of things. And I think the other finally is is reach out for some help, like reach out to a coach, reach out to somebody who helps you to go on that journey of, you know, in some ways, you know, I, it's kind of it's almost like falling back in love with yourself, like yeah. being your best friend. Hmm. Never overcommit and under deliver. So I saw this a lot when I worked in the corporate world. I saw leaders overcommitting because they were afraid to grow a pair and stand up and say they didn't have capacity. And yeah, sure, sometimes they delivered in principle, but the under delivery actually came in the mental health torture that they caused their team, the turmoil that they caused their team because they couldn't stand up and say they didn't have capacity. Uh, like this makes my blood boil. I understand I understand so much and for so many years I remember when I worked in the pharmaceutical industry I worked in the in the quality department and you know the manufacturing lines had to run and they're all about churning churning out the products because they're a business and for years I used to bend over backwards to accommodate what the manufacturing side needed until I realized that the effect that it was having on my team was really not good I'd have people waiting around doing overtime to see when, you know, stuff would be coming in. I would have people on call at the weekends. 
and it's just no way to live and really that was down to poor planning it was uns it was you know it wasn't joined up thinking it was all these silos about you know you're here to support us so I stood my ground and I, I did the work and I looked at the capacity of my team I came up with how we wanted to operate and I went to my boss and I explained like this is how this is our capacity this is what I'm doing from now on I want to try and force other departments to consider our department before I take on anymore and it was really really respected and there's nothing wrong with that you cannot do everything for everyone so never over never overcommit and under deliver to your boss in two ways number one in the way that you actually don't get it done because you don't have capacity or number two in that you under deliver in this in this sense that you you affect your team so much that they actually end up leaving and I don't know why people don't put together these dots but that's what happens if you know that there's conflict between team members you cannot just let it now conflict does not mean you know handbags at dawn pulling each other's eyes out it can mean just disagreements right so You need to use your emotional intelligence, use all of who you are, your head, heart and gut to really tune into what's happening with your team. And that comes back to what I always say is around having regular check-ins with your team, no matter what level you're at, to make sure that there's nothing happening. Okay, so acknowledging it is the first step. So the first thing I would say is acknowledge it privately. You need to address with both parties that you know this is happening. You need to start by saying something like, I've noticed, okay? Not such and such has told me or I heard. Definitely don't say I heard. Say I've noticed and then fill in the blank. So I've noticed that yourself and such and such seem to have some bad energy at the moment or I noticed you said this or tell me a little bit about what's going on, okay? So you want to understand. Then I would say acknowledge it publicly if necessary. So this is really important. So say, for example, if you're at a team meeting, this is super important. So if you're multitasking, come back to me and you're all there and you notice that one team member shuts another team member down and you get this sense in your gut that there's something more to this comment, right? We've all been there where we've seen it. What you need to do as a leader is publicly say to that person, Brian, can you stay back after the meeting just for two minutes? I just want to have a quick chat. That's all you need to say because every other person who were at that meeting would have noticed that comment and they are waiting for you. They're waiting to see what you do. So it's really important that you just acknowledge it. Don't obviously get into the detail about anything in front of the team ever, but do just say, ask the person to maybe stay back or something like that, just so you're letting the rest of the team know Um that you've acknowledged it and that you're going to do something about it, okay? The next thing I would say is acknowledge their pain and their frustrations, okay? So if there is conflict, everyone sees the world through their own beliefs and they live their lives true to their own values. So oftentimes when other people don't abide by our values or don't live or work the same as us, it can cause confusion, Unless you understand that not everybody has the same values or beliefs, right? So acknowledge that these people, when they are in these conflict situations, and I mean, we've all been there, their pain and their frustration is real. So it's important for you as a leader to really listen and acknowledge it, even if you don't agree. Okay, that's a really important part. You've got to listen. 
again, I think people need to understand that they can they can hack their subconscious brains. And to do that, um, you know, the best advice I can give you and, and your listeners is put aside 15 minutes every single day to whatever you want to call it. You can call it self-hypnotize or you can call it creatively visualize. Whatever you want to call it, give it a label. But ultimately, 15 minutes. I have a very specific way that I do it. I can talk you through it if you want. But ultimately, Yeah, do it. Tell us, tell us. <laughs> yeah, so a very specific way. And everything, everything that I visualize, this sounds like a large, bold claim, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back it up, right? Everything that I visualize comes into fruition. It comes into reality, but not as the law of attraction, right? So... Let me explain. So the 15 minutes are quite simple. So the first five minutes you spend relaxing your physical body. The best way to relax your physical body is just to find somewhere comfortable, close your eyes and visualize a purple light and just call that in your head, your purple light of relaxation. And you visualize that going into your feet first. And then you say to yourself over and over, my feet are relaxed, my feet are relaxed, my feet are relaxed. But as you're saying that, actually actively try and allow the muscles and nerves and tendons in your feet to relax. And then you bring that relaxation up into your ankles, your shins, your knees, your thighs. So you bring that purple light the whole way through your body. All that happens is your physical body will just begin to relax. So then after about five minutes of doing that, then you focus on your breathing. So I have a specific style of breathing I like to use, which is the 636 technique. There's lots of different techniques out there. This is just my own version of, of a breathing technique. So I inhale for six seconds. I hold for three seconds and exhale for six. Inhale for six, hold for three, exhale for six. And when you focus on the breath, what happens is because your physical body is relaxed and because you're your breathing is slowing down and you're focused on your breathing ultimately you're entering into an alpha brainwave state that's what's happening scientifically so if i hooked you up to an ecg machine that's what's happening you're going into an alpha brainwave state then for the final five minutes because you're in that sweet spot that you need to be in to creatively visualize and create those new neural pathways you imagine that you're in a cinema or movie theater and just visualize whatever it is that you need to visualize on a screen and then in your head turn up the controls to make it more colorful, add in sounds, turn up the volume and really immerse yourself in that experience. So here's what will happen. New neural pathways will be created. Like you're not the same person today that you were yesterday and you won't be the same person tomorrow. We are creating new mental synapses and new mental pathways day in, day out, all day long, right? So ultimately, if you do that for just 21 days to begin with, to create the habit of it, at the end of that 21 days, you'll actually find yourself actively progressing towards that goal whatever it is in other words if it's for example i don't know running a marathon if you're finding it difficult difficult to get up out of bed and train you'll find at the end of the 21 days you're actually bouncing out of bed and you're just going to train without even thinking about it because what's happening is in the background your subconscious mind is problem solving for you with regards to that because you're programming your mind to do it and that's what people need to realize you can program your mind to do anything but then you have to back it up with massive action so mm -hmm. that's the thing you can't just sit there visualize yourself getting a Ferrari and expect it to turn up outside your house, which is what the law of attraction is about, right? You know, you need to visualize and then back it up with massive action. So for me, like the things that I've visualized in the last year, I remember talking at my keynotes at the start of the pandemic, like whatever, early March, 2020. Uh, and throughout 2020, I was telling people, oh yeah, so I'm going to have a book deal by the end of the pandemic and I'll have the book written and published. And, uh, and I was saying this in keynotes and I could see people turn their heads towards me going, this guy's crazy. Um, and I was saying I was going to get back on Ellen DeGeneres, even though they were only allowing A-list Hollywood superstars on the program. So ultimately, I just visualized every day, but I backed it up with massive action, sending out hundreds of emails and hundreds of phone calls and just putting in the effort, right? So I ended up on Ellen DeGeneres virtually from my cabin. You can find that up on YouTube. And I was saying, 
saying that in my keynotes every single day and I was visualizing it every day, but I was making hundreds of phone calls and emails to the Ellen Show, badgering them. I got a book deal, so the book did really well. I went to the top three uh, in nonfiction paperback. And then I visualized myself getting a new TV show at RT, even when in Ireland, the majority of television um, companies and networks, they're not really making anything because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my TV show, as you know, is airing right now. So there's three examples of just things that I creatively visualized in the past year. And even now, as I talk to you, I know by the end of this year, I'm going to have a new TV show over in the US. Not because I have it inked. So I don't have it inked. It's because I'm visualizing it every day and then I'm taking massive action to make that happen. So in other words, I'm meeting people here. I'm booking flights to go to LA to pitch to networks, uh, partner up with production companies, all of the work that it takes. I'm feeling so inspired because when I actually DM'd you on LinkedIn to come on my show, like I am big into visualization as well, right? And you were on my vision board, right? And I do something very similar, a Bob Proctor visualization that I I would do every night with the level lavender light and all that kind of stuff. And just to give some perspective to my listeners, like you might see Keith as Keith Barry, right? Who's on the telly, but like the work that you have just shared that what you've done, like you're working 18 hour days, you're booking flights, you're making stuff happen for yourself. You know, it just goes to show that the visualization is 100% what needs to be there, but you've got to back it up with the action. So I'm so glad to hear you saying that. And I'm really glad that my vision came true because I had the balls to reach out to you. Why not? I think we need to be very careful with the word burnout or whatever word people use because it's a it is the darkest blackest thing I've ever like I couldn't find a way out of it. I couldn't find motivation to do anything. And I did it to myself. I actually I did it to myself and I look back on it now and I promised I made a promise to myself I'll never ever let that happen to me again. I don't care what I have to do. I will one thing I did that changed everything for me, and I, I would massively, I'd massively promote this to anyone listening. The most important thing you will learn to do in your life is to actually establish what the hell you stand for. Mm-hmm. What are your values? I did that. I did. I did this therapist. I did something called acceptance commitment therapy. And I remember the therapist saying to me, has, has, it, has it been working for you? Has this worked for you to this point? And I was like, no. Okay, so that that was the realization. So we know it's not working. Are you willing to commit to doing something different about it? I went, yeah. And that was the first thing we did was, what did you stand for? So I just Googled some cool words that, you know, like loyalty and trust and all these words that the first thing you will see that when you're doing a training weekend with your organization and they say, what what's this organization stand for? And you just pick those words and you throw them out. That's what I did. And my therapist was like, hmm. Not really. started to quiz me on each one of them, each one of them and each one of them. And I started getting sweaty and frustrated. And I was like, he's not letting me out of this. And after months of work with them, my entire value system came down to one th- one word, family, on. family. That was it. That was all. And he said, every decision you make now going forward has to have that at the core. Yeah. Everything, even if it's a difficult decision. And I was living in London at the time and I was terrified to come home because I was like, it's an admission of failure if I come home because I moved to London to be successful and be the big, big smoke and all that. And I knew it was making me miserable. I knew it was making my mom miserable because she knew I was miserable Yeah, and nobody was saying it. Mm. And I remember just going, no. And I, it became my North Star. That's my, for every decision I make from yeah. anything I do has them at the heart of it. Yeah. And everything changed after that. 
think about people who inspire you. So if you want to work your way up the ladder, just for example, there's women who have gone before you and men too, who inspire you. So I want you to think of maybe two people who really, really inspire you. What specifically is it about them that you are drawn to? Is it their professionalism? Is it their ability to solve problems quickly? Maybe speed is a value of yours. Is it how they are so confident? Is it that they can portray their confidence? What is it? Because you can then use that to build the personal brand that you want because the thing that you want already lives inside you. And you really need to bear in mind too your tone of voice. So do you want to be known as somebody who is professional or do you want to be known as somebody who is more like rugged, for example, is a word, right? I don't believe, and this is me now, I don't believe that you should have a professional persona and a real persona. And don't get me wrong, like obviously you're going to behave differently at home than you will in work. But what I really don't believe you should do is to change your values or change who you really are to align with a corporation or a bit or a company because you'll never be happy. So it's really important when you're choosing a career path and choosing a company to work with that you understand the company's values and you need to understand your own values to ensure that they both align. Okay, so think about your brand tone of voice. Is it authoritative? Is it is it concise? Is it confident? Is it caring? Like for me, I try to have a caring. Uh, my brand would, would be quite carer. So you can probably hear that when I speak because I do care about you. I've never met you probably, or maybe I have, but if I haven't met you, I want you to know I care about you. And I think that comes across. So for you, what do you want your brand tone of voice to be? And finally, the last thing I'll say on this today really is that you need to really think about your brand story. So think about your personal story. Okay, so you are a personal brand and people connect with people. So when you're going for a promotion, if you want to move departments or you want to change companies or whatever the case may be, people already know if you've got 20 years experience in industry, they know you can do the job, right? But what they want to know is who are you? They want to know your story. They want to know, will they like you? Will they fit in with you? Will you fit in with the team? Can they work with you? And your story plays a huge part in that. And if you ever think about, um, if you watch a movie, who do you relate to the most in the movie? The hero who's perfect? Or do you relate to the person who's shown vulnerability? Most of the time, we relate to those imperfect people because we're all imperfect. We're all imperfect. So I want you to think about your story and what you could say if you were in an interview or if somebody asked you at a networking uh, do, tell me a bit about you. Most people get into the, all the credentials they have. They tell their career story about why, where they went to college, what the degree was. Guys, people don't want to hear that stuff. They want to hear about you. They want to hear about your experience in college how you found it challenging, how you overcame it. They want to hear about when you first started out in work, how you overcame the obstacles to get to where you are in your career. So think about those stories because people connect with people. So I wanted to talk to you today about work-related guilt. 
So as I always tell my clients, and I'm going to share these two things with you today, there are literally only two things you can do to stop. Number one is you can change the situation. So for example, I had a client and she was a really, really busy mother. She worked in the tech industry. She had a global team and she was always last on her to-do list. She, like, I just remember she was trying to, you know, she was talking about feeling guilty with her kids and not being there for them. And she was one of these most amazing, kind, heart-centered women who just wanted to be there for people. But she forgot herself in the process and this guilt used to take her over. So I worked through it with her. And the first thing that we do is we always look at, okay, can I change the situation? So that's always the first port of call. Okay, so if you want to get rid of the feeling of guilt, can you change the situation? So, for example, if you're at home and you're feeling guilty because you're not working and you're with the kids, there is no point in you. You can't change that situation, right? Unless you can go and get a babysitter or go back to work. But then you're probably going to feel guilty for not being with the kids, right? So change the situation where you can. And an example of where you might change the situation is like something that I did, which was on a Friday, I used to collect my kids from school because I felt so much guilt that I never collected them from school that I agreed with my boss and my subsequent bosses that Friday afternoons I would collect my kids from school. That alleviated so, so much guilt for me um, for the other days of the week. So that's something that maybe you could consider if you have kids, if you're not doing that already. Now, the second thing you can do if you can't change the situation is you can change how you think about it and just accept it. So acceptance is key. So if you can't change the situation, the only thing you can do is accept how it is and change how you think about it. It's not your fault if you can't leave work because there is a massive issue and it's part of your responsibility to solve it. Now, only you can make that call about how far you need to go in your role. I would encourage you always, always, always put family first because that's just my number one value. But I understand for some of you that work will be maybe a little bit higher in that priority list potentially based on where you are at right now. And that's okay too. But I just want you to think about like if you are there in work, there's no point in feeling guilty because it's just it's not going to solve anything. And equally, if you're with the kids or if you're with your family or if you don't have children, whatever it is for you, just accept the situation and just give yourself permission to let go of those feelings of guilt. Now, in my program, Powerhouse Revolution, I've developed a tool I call the Powerhouse Transformation Tool. And I help some of my clients to change that narrative in their head and get rid of those negative feelings of guilt, shame, fear. It's really, really powerful. But even if you, you know, if you if you don't work with me, you can still do this too by just changing that narrative. So what story are you telling yourself now? What are those thoughts that are going around in your head? And what are you saying to yourself that's making you feel guilty? You don't need to feel guilty. You need to take action. So the action is either A, you're going to choose, you're going to do something about it. You're going to change it. You're going to set your boundaries and you're going to alleviate that guilt. And you're not going to apologize for putting yourself first or your family first. 
or you're going to have to change and accept that this is how it is and that you can't change the situation. So do you see you literally only have two options? The third option is what you're probably currently doing, which is ruminating and worrying and beating yourself up and saying you should have done this and you should be doing more and all these shoulda, woulda, couldas. That is just your inner critic having an absolute field day with you and it doesn't have to be that way. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope that you found it valuable. And I just want to say thank you so much for all of your support on this podcast. I could not do it without you. I'm so grateful for you tuning in every week and I love hearing your feedback. And yeah, I just want to say thank you so, so much because the Powerhouse Revolution podcast would not be here without listeners like you. So thanks very much. Go and have a great rest of your Christmas holiday and I will talk to you again in 2023. Bye for now.